Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is John Clark from Private Practice Workshop, helping you build a better business without all the overwhelm. And I'm excited to go live for a, a Q&A with you today. And um, just want to um, uh, start off by saying also, I'm gonna do a quick talk about fear today or how to deal with fear and uncertainty, um, a, a topic that I think everyone can certainly relate to in different uh different degrees so we're going to get into that in just a second um if you're here live i would invite you to go ahead and start asking your questions in uh, the comments section they can be about anything anything private practice related business marketing side hustles online courses content you name it uh, i'm here to answer your questions um, so i'm excited to uh to, to spend this time with you also excited to test out a, a new live stream setup here if you are are watching live uh, versus listening to this on the podcast, uh, the audio version, then um, yeah, new camera, new lights, uh, new setup here, trying to bring uh, higher quality content to you guys. So I'm uh, excited to make that happen. Um, so let's get into this, um, the, the topic here, talking a little bit about um, dealing with fear and uncertainty. And then uh, I will open it up for um, discussion uh, for, from you all or questions, I should say, from you all. So Let's get um, let's get right into it. Um, what I want to say in terms of dealing with fear and uncertainty, you're going to deal with um, some degree of this in life, and especially if you are a business owner. I would say that as a business owner, you are susceptible to a higher degree of uncertainty. That's part of the um, the risk. Um, it also uh, you know comes with extra potential reward or extra potential for for reward um, in in taking on that extra risk. So. Some things I want you to think about in terms of dealing with, with fear and uncertainty. One is to ask yourself, what is the worst that could happen? And if it happened, how would I deal with it exactly? So take an example of, um, what if all my clients leave? Or what if my clients won't accept my new fee? Whatever it is. Um, what's the worst that could happen? And then how would I deal with it? So let's say all of your clients left at once. Let's say you've got 20 clients at once and they all leave. This technique is called fear setting, right? And I use it um, with my own therapy clients. It's to go ahead and imagine the worst case scenario, the catastrophe scenario, because usually you already are anyway, right? Thought suppression doesn't work. It doesn't work to say, hey, just relax. It's probably not going to happen. It'll probably be fine. That doesn't work, right? Go ahead and lean into that and imagine the worst case scenario, but then start thinking about your plan or how you would adapt piece by piece. So all my clients have left. Well, I would retrace my steps. I would think, how did I get here in the first place? How did I get these clients in my first place? In the first place, how do I go back to what worked to get me here? I would also get scrappy and do things like uh, reach out to former clients, reach out to referral sources, reach out to other therapists. Maybe just see this as a time to slow down in, in my business and just take a step back from it. Um, so that's one way to think about it. The other thing to think about is like, um, okay, some common fears might be, what if it doesn't work? Or what if I try something new and it doesn't work? Could I live with that? What if people judge me? Could I live with that? Let's just assume that people are already judging you <laughs> and you may or may not know about it. You probably don't know about it, right? Unless they're extra mean and they're you know saying it to your face or saying it online. Even if people judge me, can I deal with it? And the answer is yes. Um, Worst case scenario for a lot of us in private practice, you know, it all falls apart. You go get a job, right? You go and uh, you go back to an agency or a group practice or whatever it is, or maybe you, um, you just get really scrappy 
you start driving Uber and Lyft, which is uh, how I got here, part of how I got here originally in building my first practice uh, here in San Francisco many years ago. You can, you can be scrappy when you need to be scrappy. You're more capable than you think. And all, you know, life isn't just about preventing bad things from happening, right? Because they are going to happen. They've already happened. They're going to keep happening. It's about trusting your ability to adapt to what happens. The last piece I want to say about this, and then let's get into your questions. So go ahead and start asking your questions here in the comments so that um, they can be ready, is go back to your vision, right? What do I really want for my life and business? When I sit there, and if I allow myself to daydream, what do I want, right? Because sometimes we fear losing things that we didn't want in the first place, right? Maybe you're running a group practice or you, you thought you wanted to build a group practice, then it all falls apart and all your clinicians leave at once. And you think, oh my gosh, I've lost it all. But then you go back to your vision and think, is this something I wanted in the first place? Did I want all of this? What do I really want and what do I value? Other questions to ask yourself are, how do I define failure? And how do I define success? Maybe the failure part is easier to think about. Is it, again, losing all your clients, losing all your money, trying to launch a course and it doesn't work? Maybe you take on an investment that doesn't work out. You know, you buy a, an office building or something like that or a retreat center and it doesn't work out and you sell it for a loss. Could you deal with that, right? Thinking about success and failure in other uh, components of your life, other areas of your life too, right? What does failure and success mean for you as um as a friend, as a partner, as a parent, all of those things, right? If your business is just sucking the life out of you and ruining all your relationships, is that really successful? Even if you're making multiple six figures, you know, um, or whatever it may be. So think about that, right? In what parts of my life do I want to be successful, right? How do I measure success for myself? What really matters? It does help if you put some numbers to these things, right? To know um, kind of uh, what, what you're aiming for, but there's also the intangibles, right? As to what, what really matters for my life. Um, am I living a balanced life? Am I making time for my health, my creative projects? Am I making art, which is, you know, something uh, important to me is I want to use my business in part to have time for, um, you know, uh, uh, my family, my hobbies, my health, to go surfing, to make music, to work on, you know, my, uh, my art. And so it all should be symbiotic, at least to an extent, right? As best you can. Now, you're going to be in some periods of your life and business where it's just hustle and it's a grind and you're in that startup phase of your business and that's okay. That's a temporary phase, right? Or you're making a big push for something. That's that's okay, but um, you don't want to stay there too long. You want to get your business into a place where you can go into what I call maintenance mode, right? So I think about different modes of business. A startup phase where you're just starting, growth phase where you're really pushing that growth, or maybe you're in a focused kind of season of growth for your existing business, uh, maintenance where you're just doing the bare minimum to keep things rolling, and then burnout when you've been doing too much for too long and not taking care of yourself. So think about that in terms of what business mode you're in right now. And there's no wrong answer. Just do it intentionally and make sure to spend time each year in maintenance mode. Okay, let me know if this is landing for you in the comments. Let me know if this is um, uh, resonating. It's been a while since I've done a solo episode like this, but it's fun to engage you all and um, and just kind of uh, you know do a little bit of teaching. So, yeah, let's transition to some questions. Thanks for being here. First question um, is: How do you handle on-call slash crisis coverage? 
this is actually an interesting question. You know, I don't answer a ton of clinical questions here, but there's also a business element of this question. Um, in private practice, our resources are very limited. And so how we handle this in private practice or how I suggest you handle it is in your informed consent, you're going to tell clients that the time that I have available to you is the time we have session. If you are in crisis, um, you should call 911, go to the nearest emergency room, et cetera. Here's a list um, of, um, you know, the nearest emergency rooms or whatever it is, right? But for, for most um, most cases, this is going to suffice, right? Is um, we're not a crisis service. So if you're suicidal, if you're a threat to yourself or someone else, calling my number or trying to text me or email me or whatever is not the thing to do. You have to be very clear about that. Here's exactly what to do if you're in crisis. You need to have that policy very clearly, um, uh, you know, uh, outlined in your informed consent, also your practice policies. And um, and then there you go. You also would say that in your voicemail, you know, and even your email reply, your email autoresponder or an email uh, signature that says we're not a crisis service. If you're, you know, a threat to yourself or others right now, here's what to do. So you want to really protect yourself in that way. And again, same thing for your voicemail. That's that's the first message I would have at the front of your, your voicemail. Great question. So keep them coming. Um, got another question here from Ross. Um, Ross says, I have a group practice idea that I think will be successful, but I want to test whether there's demand for the niche. How do you recommend testing this out before building it out and spending a lot? This is a fantastic question. Um, and, um, the question is so good that it's covering up half of my face. <laughs> if you're watching, um, here's, here's how I would test it. I, I do think, um, this kind of market research piece is critical and a piece that a lot of therapists will just completely kind of skip over, right? So how do we test an idea for a new niche before launching it? The short answer for me is look at um, search trends online. Look at Google search trends, right? So the way that you would do this is looking at actual um, um, uh, keyword trends that are happening. So keyword data, you could use free tools like Ubersuggest or the Google Keyword Planner. Um, any of the free Google tools would be a good place to start in terms of looking at numbers. Then I would consider doing some, um, you know, using some paid tools. So the one that I use is called Ahrefs. I'll spell it for you here if I pull it up. A-H-R-E-F-S. Ahrefs. A-H-R-E-F-S. That's a really great free tool. Uh, paid tool. Sorry, it's about 99 bucks a month or something like that. But I would use that even just for one month and say, I'm going to, I'm going to pull this up and look at some search terms and see, is there decent volume or growing volume in my area? And is there low competition or medium competition, right? There's trends like that that are happening all the time that you could kind of get ahead of. You can also look at historical data and see, you know, over the past year or the past two years is the search volume for this term and phrases like this, is it going up? If so, you might be onto something. Then it's it's supply and demand, right? Business is supply and demand. So then you would look at, um, um, it, you know, is there a ton of supply? In other words, are there, is there a lot of competition around this niche? If my niche is going to be EMDR and it, there's growing search trends for that, but there's tons and tons of competition. You want to think about that. It doesn't mean you can't be successful. Maybe you can niche your brand entirely around EMDR as an example, but you want to look at what's the competition, you know, who, what am I up against if I, if I go after this niche? So great question. Thank you for that, Ross. Next question here is, 
Um, I want to start doing social skills or coping skills groups for younger kids, but I'm concerned that I won't make as much money compared to individual therapy. Any advice on this? Well, here's the thing. If you're doing groups, you should be making more money. Let's say you have an individual rate of $150. So you're making, just call it $150 an hour. But then you have a group of six kids, you're doing social skills training and they each pay $95 or let's just say they pay $100 per group. Well, you just went from earning $150 to $600 an hour. You just have to charge enough, right? That's how this works out. The, you know, a private practice in itself is not scalable. The, the, the layers of scale are one-to-one -one and then one-to-a-few, right? So that's one-to-a-group. And then one to many, which would be like a big workshop or a training, or um, maybe you're making content like this, right? And serving lots of people or making a, and then finally making a product, right? Making something like an online course that you could sell a thousand times. That's called a durable product, meaning I could sell it a thousand times or I could sell it a hundred times. The product's still going to hold up and it can, it can scale. Um, but I think a group is a great place to start. So if you're not making more money in your groups than you are individually, then um, you've priced it wrong. It's as simple as that. So don't be afraid to charge, you know, really solid prices for your group. It's a great question. Cool. Um, next question from the same viewer here. It says, um, I've only done work at clinics, not groups in a private practice setting, right? Concerned about calling out sick and not having a backup, but also concerned that I won't make as much if I have a co-lead. Yeah. And again, you just want to factor this into your pricing. So let's say you do have a co-lead and that's going to help for both the clinical efficacy of the group. And also it's going to help for, um, yeah, if you do get sick or something, you just want to charge enough, right? And say, um, if you are charging a hundred, maybe you can still have more people in the group. Instead of six kids, you can have 10, right? And you're both making 400 bucks an hour instead of 100 bucks an hour. So that can work. You might get sick. It might happen. You just want to have a policy around that, right? What's my policy if, you know, if, if I have to call it sick? Maybe you reschedule the group or you have a makeup group. Put that in your informed consent for the group. You know, these, these fears, these risks are, are not reasons to not do it back to our original talk here today about fear. So yeah, they're, they're understandable fears and they are possible scenarios in private practice. We all get sick. Life happens. You, yeah, I don't know. You get in a fender bender and got to cancel your group. It just happens. It is also why you got to manage your money well and have three to six months of expenses in a savings account, ideally on the business side and the personal side for your finances. So three to six months of business expenses in a business savings account three to six months of personal expenses in a, in a personal savings account. Next question. Uh, Miles says, what's, what are your thoughts on uh, psychedelic assisted therapy and private practices? It's a new field. And I want to know your opinion on how that emerging business might impact clinicians, businesses, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I'll preface this by saying, um, it, you know, these, these, uh, these types of therapies are becoming, legal in certain states. And so I'm not going to propose that anyone does anything illegal. That being said, and going back to a former question about how do you, you know, evaluate a new niche or a potential niche and how do you know if you should go for it? Well, this is a perfect example. I also, you know, this is an emerging trend. Also, even uh, things like ketamine therapy. Well, there's a tech company out here or a startup, I should say out here in San Francisco that does like 
they'll do IV therapy in your home, right? So for instance, you, you know, you party too hard, you can, you know, order a nurse to come to your house the next morning and do an IV for an hour and get fluids or nutrients or whatever. They are, they announced recently that they're also going to be doing in-home ketamine therapy soon, right? Startups and tech companies, they're ahead of trends, right? Because they have money and they have people to <laughs> look into these trends and get ahead of it. So I want to look at what they're doing and think, well, they are getting ready to ride, you know, a wave and in a trend that I might want to think about. So uh, I like it. I think you could also think about building up like a, uh, like a niche site for it, right? So maybe you have one site for your main brand and then you're building up a, a niche site separately for psychedelic assisted therapies. So yeah, I think it's a good, uh, good idea. All right, this is another good question, and I love how this question is prefaced. This question is from Rainbow Rage, and they say, sorry about my screen name, it's my child's. <laughs> it's hilarious. I'm going to know what Rainbow Rage means to, to your kid. That's so funny. Um, it could be worse, right? The screen name could be worse. Uh, so their question is, my niche is, um, I'm assuming the ASD, Autism spectrum disorder. I'm, I'm hoping that's right. If not, let me know in the comments. Autism assessment in private practice. I charge by the hour. I have a hard time actually charging for all of my time. Is moving to a flat rate for assessment a better idea? I, I, I think it is. I think you need to look at on average, how long does it take me to do an assessment? Everything from the phone calls, the collateral work, writing the, the, the freaking report, all that stuff is very time intensive. I think you either do a flat rate that you know covers your time, even if you have an assessment that goes way longer than you thought. You want to overestimate, right? And say, if I could earn in session $150 an hour and, a, and an autism assessment takes me, I don't know, 10 hours all in, then that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to charge, right? I'm going to take my clinical rate and times 10 or times 12 or whatever. I'm going to be really, you know, uh, uh, you know, conservative with it in a way. It's called scope creep, right? You know, someone hires you for a job and then it takes twice as long and your hourly rate goes down, it plummets because it's taking more time or you got some really demanding parents. So I would either go for, yeah, I would do a flat rate because if you just do it hourly, then you got to charge them for all that extra time and people don't like surprises either. So you say, it's going to be 150 hour and I'm going to bill you, you know, kind of like an attorney does, but then the time goes way over and they have anxiety about how much is this thing going to cost. So yeah. I think you need to do a, um, uh, yeah, I think you need to do a flat rate and it needs to be really strong. You're offering a service that not all of us can offer, myself included. So you should charge premium for, for that service. Yeah. Uh, back to Miles's question. So there was a question before about psychedelic assisted, assisted therapies. Uh, Miles says, "If so, if you're planning on offering multiple niches, you think it's better to market them separately?" Um, I, I'm going to say, short answer is yes, I do, especially if they are niches that um, are, are unrelated, right? Let's say you do Gottman therapy and you do psychedelic assisted therapy, right, or whatever it is. Um, those are very unrelated, and especially in urban markets, the, it doesn't make sense to market it all in one place because it looks confusing, right? It's a restaurant that does, you know, pizza and hot dogs and sandwiches and Indian food, which I saw a restaurant like that recently. They did pizza and Indian food. It's about the most confusing combination one could think of, right? <laughs> that 
you know, the idea is like in marketing, specificity wins, specificity and clarity. So if it's like a new service or an adjunct service, you know, that you're kind of adding to your practice or whatever, then um, yeah, I would really think about potentially marketing it in a separate um, brand, like a niche brand. All right. You all are putting me to, to work here, which I appreciate. Um, also, how, how's the quality just testing out again, this new setup here? I'm um, using an external camera, external microphone, new lights, stuff like that. So I'm wondering if it's a little laggy or if it's okay. Looks a little laggy from my preview, but you guys let me know in the comments. Um, Ross says, if if starting a group practice, you, do you suggest working with a medium-sized marketing company that's worked with a handful of therapists or a small company that only does ads for therapists? Um, that's a great question, right? I, I, I would say kind of neither, right? I don't think they have to have worked with therapists. I think they just need to be really, really, really good. Um, and they need to, you know, obviously be in a budget for you. But when I got, um, you know, our website created for my current practice, it's, it's called calmagaincounseling.com. If you want to check it out, um, I hired a, a really amazing work, sorry, simple, uh, <laughs> Squarespace designer named simpleandsoulful.com, simpleandsoulful.com. Now, as far as I know, she hadn't really created a therapy website before, but it didn't matter because she was extremely good at web design and branding and I loved her aesthetic and it fit for me, right? The style and her aesthetic fit for me and that's important. She also just fit for me kind of personally. She was super easy to get along with. I loved you know, the phone calls we had had before I signed on and it was a lot of money, but you, you, you get what you pay for you 100% get what you pay for, right? So I was happy to make that investment and not look back. I really would encourage you guys to think about how could I set my practice apart head and shoulders if I spent five grand on a website, 10 grand on a website. If I have this website for the next 10 years and it's looks and feels and is and functions like one of the best websites in my market and it was $10,000, and it lasts me 10 years. Well, that's a that's $1,000 a year. That's less than $100 a month. For a business where that's one of your main expenses, you know, your website, your marketing, your office, or if you're at home, your computer, you know, that's about it. So therapists really underspend on websites and it shows. There's a lot of just horrible websites out there. And if you're paying, I don't know, $59 a month for your website, guess what? It's going to look like a $59 website. It's just a scrappy, you know, built on a, an outdated template. It's barely updated. They're not really going to update it unless they have to. It doesn't function well. It's not beautiful. It's not impressive. So obviously I have a lot of strong feelings about this. Um, again, two designers I like are simpleandsoulful.com. That's for Squarespace. Her name's Deanna. She's been on this show. And then also um, Artillery Media for WordPress sites artillerymedia.com for WordPress sites. Um, I do have an affiliate, you know, relationship with artillery. So if you do go with them, you're welcome to let them know you heard about them through me and they, they might give you a little break and they might send me a kickback as a thank you. So just for that transparency, but there are two agencies that I trust entirely. And that's, <laughs> there's a reason that list is really short, right? I don't trust a lot of website builders in, out there. All right, another question here. Um, the question is, I would like to use video clips from movies or TV shows for group sessions. Are you familiar with good editing programs and anything legally I should be aware of from a business perspective? Well, 
I'm sure I have to preface this by saying I'm not a lawyer, even though maybe I look like one. I'm kidding, kind of. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm not a lawyer, but here's what I'd say. If you're doing group therapy and you show a clip, you know, on your iPad from Goodwill Hunting, is someone going to come after you? Probably not, you know, because <laughs> we're small fish, right? Um, if you want to edit stuff together, you know, get those clips and then you can edit them with whatever's on your computer, right? Something like, um, you know, iMovie is is what I have for, you know, on a Mac. And that works great for editing simple video. We used iMovie to edit a lot of videos on this channel, you know, so it's a really, it's a great little tool. And um, yeah, I think if you're showing clips, you know, pull up a YouTube clip during group. I don't think you need to, you know, pay them for that, especially if it's something you found on YouTube. So that's, that's what I would do. I wouldn't even worry about editing, editing them together. I would just find the clips on YouTube and pull them up during group. So there you go. Have fun with it and watch Goodwill Hunting. Corrective emotional experience at the end, right? It's not your fault. It's not your fault. So good. Um, I'll hang around for a few more minutes for, for a few more questions if you all want. Um, hopefully this has been helpful. Um, if you're just tuning in, uh, feel free to go back to the very beginning of this once I you know, end the broadcast or if you're listening. Um, uh, yeah, you can go back to the beginning where I talked about how to deal with fear and uncertainty, did a little um, TED talk, as my friend says, um, on that. And then we got into these, these live questions. So it's been really great um, questions here. Maybe I'll hang around for about four more minutes of questions here and that will wrap up the half hour. Uh, we are here again tomorrow. We have a live interview with someone named Victoria Albina. She's here to talk about codependency in your practice, codependency in your business, how it might be showing up, right? Us people pleasers might have a thing or two to, to, to learn tomorrow from, um, from her. So <laughs> tune in tomorrow, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern um, here on YouTube if you are interested. And you can ask her questions live too. You can ask me questions live again tomorrow. So, okay, going once, going twice. If there's no more questions, we'll start wrapping up. I want to, um, uh, okay, fine. I'll do another question or two. <laughs> Ken says, how often should you post a blog and how long should it be? Um, I'll preface this by saying, it needs to be long enough and you need to do it frequent enough to get results in your business. If you're in small town Ohio and you've already got good SEO for your site, it's already ranking well, you don't need to blog a ton, right? Maybe once a month, 500 words a month, something like that. If you have a brand new site and it's not ranking at all, let's say you're in a mid-sized city like Charlotte, North Carolina. That's where I used to be. I would suggest you're blogging two to four times a month at least 500 words a month, words per post with some sprinkled in that are a thousand words. Okay. That's, um, that's my kind of quick and dirty answer, right? But again, how much is enough? Enough to get you results, right? So it all depends on your strategy, your market. Are you targeting specific keywords with it? Are you then sharing that blog post around the web on places like Facebook and Reddit and getting it, you know, some backlinks there? Uh, things like that. There's also, you know, I think a great way to build your, your SEO is um, places like help a reporter out. It's Haro, H-A-R-O. You can submit there as an expert. So someone says, hey, I need someone who's an expert in autism assessment to make a comment for our upcoming article on BuzzFeed or uh, The Guardian or whatever it's going to be. Maybe it's on NPR. We're looking for, you know, uh, uh, an expert. 
you go on there, you answer the question, you might get featured on NPR. And then that link from NPR, which is a massive website with an insane you know, domain authority score, is now linking to your site. And then your SEO goes through the roof. Miles says, what are some streams of revenue a therapist can make besides client one-on-ones and group therapy? Great question. You know, I do have a video about this on our YouTube channel somewhere. You know, if you go to our channel and just look at passive income ideas or search for passive income on our channel, I've got some videos about this. Um, off the top of my head, the first place to look is what assets do you currently have? Let's say you've got an office and you're not using it on Saturdays. Start making 200 bucks a month by subleasing it. Maybe you can sublease it two days. That's 400 bucks a month, right? It's almost five grand a year just by subleasing an office. Maybe you rent an extra office and you're going to sublease it for a profit. That's pretty, pretty, pretty passive. Um, maybe, you know, you have, uh, again, looking at your assets, maybe you have a really amazing person who like is a VA for you, a virtual assistant, and you can create a package for their time and set them up with other therapists and you're making um, income on that. That's just an idea. Maybe you have a really amazing tool for how to write an assessment for autism you know, assessment. You sell that, right, to therapists as a product. Sell it on Gumroad. Look at gumroad.com. You can sell a product on there really easily. <clears throat> um, and then you're looking at making content, things like this, right? So I make content from, you know, and I make money from these videos and from our content through things like um, getting sponsors, right? We have a sponsor for this show. It's called Jane. Jane, it's an EHR in Canada. So thank you, Jane, for sponsoring this. Um, we um, we make money from YouTube itself, right? So they run ads on our channel and we make money from that. That's very passive now that we've built this channel up for a few years. I have affiliate links, you know, in a lot of descriptions. So some of my favorite books or products or whatever, um, making money that way. And then I have my own products and services, right? I have our course fully booked. I have um, our mastermind group, stuff like that. So uh, there, there's a lot of ways to to do it. And it's great that you're thinking about it. Okay, now I've got a bunch of questions, so I'm back at it. Rainbow Rage, again, my favorite screen name, says, um, I quit social media to save my sanity. How necessary do you think social media is for driving business? Let me just say something really provocative that I've said on this channel and on my in my content for four years now. You don't need social media to build a private practice. In fact, for most of us, it's a stupid idea. It's a stupid place to spend your time and money. Here's the reason people don't go to social media to find their therapist. I don't really care about all these TikTok therapists. You know, let's say you got a practice in Manhattan and you're super famous on TikTok. Great, good for you. You have a video that got 200,000 views. How many of those people are in Manhattan and willing to pay you 250 an hour for therapy? Right? How many of those people? I don't know. That therapist probably already has a full practice, right? Um, I just think it's a waste of time. I think you're riding, you know, waves that are just temporary and they're just going to crash. So the same way that a lot of young people are not on Facebook anymore, they're, they were on Snapchat, which is dying, and then TikTok, which will die. And you spend the next four years building up content there, right? Um, that Yeah, so for building a local business, I just focus on Google entirely, right? We're building, you know, I have a practice here in San Francisco. I'm just obsessed with Google, Google ads, Google my business and SEO. Be obsessed with those three things for the next five years. And I guarantee you're going to make a lot of money. So 
there's your answer. And there's my soapbox for the day. I feel strongly about it. Now, if you're building an online business, something like I'm doing right here, right? I'm using some social media. YouTube is arguably a form of social media, but it's also a search engine. So if you type in something like private practice therapist salary, I'm probably going to have one of the first results, right? So it is both social media and Google, right? And Google owns this. So, um, and there's a lot of ways to make money on YouTube. And I think YouTube's just now getting started. So I highly recommend you start a, a YouTube channel if you're if you want to start like an online business or side hustle or maybe like coaching business or maybe you're a really good couples therapist. You could make videos about couples therapy on YouTube just as like a side hustle. Again, most of you all, um, if I were making a million, you know, therapist videos or therapy videos right now, how many of you all are, you know, in California and looking for a therapist right now? Maybe some small portion, but again, this works really well for a business like like mine, like Private Practice Workshop, it's an online business where I can serve the whole world, serve therapists all over the world. And and um, and that's that makes a lot of sense. Um, another great question from Miles. Miles is, is really on it today. <laughs> Miles says, how do you balance your time um, when you deal with clients, YouTube, employees, et cetera? Do you tackle an easier task or less taxing task before dealing with clients or vice versa? Great question. I mean, the, the short answer is I try to batch my days. So tomorrow is a big private practice workshop day. I'll run two mastermind groups, do a Q&A call for fully booked. Um, I'll, I'll see one coaching client, a consulting client, a group practice owner that I, that I coach. And then I'll do, um, uh, uh, an office hour for business made human or mastermind group. And then I'll do a podcast interview. That's an entire day of PPW, right? But then Wednesday I do group supervision for my practice, for my employees. Thursday, uh, I do a little client work. I do a little just planning, catching up content and I don't work Fridays. So I just kind of batch my days. Now, in terms of getting stuff done in the day itself, um, Mark Twain says something about eating the frog or eat the frog first. So you eat it first thing in the morning, right? Get it out of the way. It's the same reason why you you know work out first thing in the morning. If it's the hardest thing to do, then you've won the day and you've gotten it out of the way. So that that principle makes sense for you know when do you do the most challenging you know parts of your job? Um, Bigfoot, that's a hilarious icon says tips for avoiding burnout as an associate therapist seeing 25 plus um, clients a week. I think it has to be about balance. You know, I, I think 25 is a lot. I think if you could get that down to closer to 20, I think that's more healthy. Um, I think you could also think about batching your clients, maybe, you know, 20, let's say 20 clients a week. You can do that three and a half days a week or even 25. You can do it in three and a half days a week or four, four days, right? 20, uh, 24 clients divided by four is six clients a day, three in the morning, and then an hour or a two hour break, and then three in the afternoon, four times. That's a four day work week. That's not bad. It's not bad. And that regard 24, I think is, is doable. You got to have balance. You got to have something in your life that you love more than therapy. You got to have things that you can't wait to get off work and go do, whether it's skateboarding or playing guitar, being, um, I don't know, just something for you, something that has nothing to do with therapy. So I feel um, pretty, pretty strongly about that one. It takes a long time to develop, you know, balance, but there's always going to be, you can always see more clients, you can always make more money, but you have to put guardrails on your business or else it'll, it'll ruin your life. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been there. I've been in that burnout phase multiple times. Um, 
and, and kind of learn the hard way. So um, don't push it too hard. This is a marathon, not a sprint. You got to be in this for the long run. So it's 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 got to be got to be sustainable. Sustainable it has to be. Um, speaking of sustainable and burnout, I'm pretty tired <laughs> from this. You know, you all put me to work here. 35 minutes of questions, and I'm I'm tired, and these bright lights are killing my head now. So, um, let's go ahead and wrap up. I, I want to thank you again for being here for your questions. It's a lot of fun. And again, I'll be here tomorrow at 3 p.m. Pacific with a guest here on our YouTube channel, and um, we're going to do more of these. Um, uh, uh, you know, Q and A's. We're actually we're going to do another one on. Um, Tuesday, the 21st at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. If you want to put that on your calendar, we'll do another live q and I'm going to put it in my calendar right now. So keep an eye out for that. Just hop onto our YouTube channel. Um, or if you're on our email list, you'll, you'll, you'll see an update there. You'll see a notice there. So otherwise, thank you all for being here again. I'm John Clark, business coach, therapist, group practice owner. Uh, privatepracticeworkshop.com. You can learn more about what we do and how we help. You can book a, a coaching call with me, an initial coaching call for 199 bucks. Love to connect with you. Love to help you out give you some, some coaching and guidance. And then if you decide to sign up for, you know, a coaching package or one of our programs, like our business made human mastermind group, then definitely um, that we can talk about that, you know, at the end of that initial session. So just head to privatepracticeworkshop.com to learn more about that and uh, click on work with me. Um, thanks for being here. Take care of yourselves. Keep doing great work out there in the world. Don't burn out. We need you now more than ever. And, um, like the song says, and, um, and I'll see you all again really soon. Thanks again for being here. Take care. Cheers. Cheers.